Wellspring discipleship. Discipleship of Christ-centered discipleship. We're doing this as an explanation of mm-hmm. what was attempted on as an explanation to the members meeting. Thank you all for being patient with us. There's so many layers of explanation needed because yes. this is kind of something that has been worked on and the elders have been thinking about this, but this is something relatively new mm-hmm. to people because we this is the first time explaining it. Mm-hmm. Um, first question, frequently asked questions that we have discussed in other chats mm-hmm. with gospel community leaders as well as within the elders. A lot mm-hmm. of the questions that we've been dealing with. So the first question, what has been the context and history of small group discipleship in Wellspring? Well, when we first started in 1999, we started with what were called home groups. And it's exactly what it sounds like. A small group that met in a home where there were different aspects of life together, such as eating, studying God's word, usually a Bible study, prayer, and then conversation, time together. Those groups were also intergenerational, so it consisted of families. It wasn't, it tended not to be life stage, but a lot more uh, intermixed with different people at different life stage, young children, babies, uh, singles, uh, married couples without kids, married couples with kids. Also, you know, most of the kids back then were relatively young. So for those of you who have young children, that was what life was like. And so those groups are very hectic, actually, because we had so many children. Some some of the groups had really a lot of children, a lot of young children. And it was quite challenging, actually, to have a Bible study in that in the midst of that context, really. Food was good. Food was really good. There weren't many of those groups. So that, that lasted, I would say, up until uh, late 2000s, or actually about 2010. But the, the one thing about those groups is that because we were doing Bible studies, we did do leadership training, but most of the training was around teaching the actual Bible study. It wasn't about what it meant to be a shepherd or a leader. And so we spent a lot of time doing that. Another thing about those groups is that it was hard to find leaders because most people didn't really have this uh, dual gift, you might say, of teaching and shepherding. Some people have that, but not everyone. So some people tend to be great shepherds, but their gift is not teaching. And then some, maybe they're really good teachers, but they're not necessarily good shepherds. So when you have that, you have a very smaller, much smaller group of people pool to get leadership from. Yeah. So that was up to 2010. Yeah. And that was, it was good in a one way in the sense that it was organizationally good. But what I would say is when we evaluated that time period, um, looking retrospectively, what we really did was ask the question, how many people through those groups have been saved? or have been transformed in their walk of faith and with Christ? And frankly, the answer was very few. Considering the amount of energy, effort, resources that were poured in to that, especially in a church at our size, you would think, I mean, I don't want to be overly pragmatic, but there needs to be some fruitfulness. And if the fruitfulness is only about enjoying hanging out together without um, a real awakening of the gospel or a person loving Jesus more because of that group, it just did not produce that type of fruit. And so we came to realize things needed to change. At first, it started with a uh, um, sort of a small evolution. It was like an evolutionary change. Instead of home groups, because the word home, we thought, focused on location, meeting in homes. So we decided to call it community groups. And then the focus became, let's create a community. You have to understand that this is pre, oh, this is around, actually it's right, it's not late uh, 2000s, it's probably like mid 2000s. So uh, there was no 
gospel change with it. Or if there was, it was very early on. So because of that, the thinking was, let's form these community groups, let's have community. But the challenge of that is, how do you have good community without the gospel being at the center of that community? So you can have community, but you might not necessarily have gospel community or a Christ community. So we can have community in the sense that we all live in Danville or we all play golf together or we all have kids who are in dance together. Or So there's some common interest and it could even be a spiritual common interest. We are reading a book together. We are studying a particular passage of the Bible together. But that didn't necessarily automatically mean Christ community. It just meant community. And so again, it didn't really solve the question of how is this group, and with all the time and energy and investment into this, how is this group leading me to follow Christ and love him more? And again, the answer was, don't know if it's going, it's happening. Then it led to a new shift with um, what was called gospel communities, because now by the time the early 2010s, the gospel started because we, we sort of going through a real transformative change of the gospel taking, at least planting itself in 20, 2005. The first five years of that, so 05 to 10 being sort of this, and I'm using vague numbers, but you know, mm. just sort of close numbers uh, to just sort of what it looks like to have that at least at the very basic foundations of the church. And then from 2010 to about 2020, or more like 2015, 16, which would be, what does this look like in how it transforms our community, our life together? And so therefore, we changed the name again to Gospel Communities. The idea was, well, the gospel should transform our community, our life together. Jesus should be the center of that. And we should see the fruitfulness of faith in Christ as a uh, result of centering on Christ in community. So that meant thinking about it from a mission perspective, thinking about it from what we're doing with the time. And that was good. It was a start. But within those gospel communities around 2016, I had met with a group of guys within that gospel community and I was leading a gospel community at that point, one in Danville, I think. And I said, hey, any guys want to meet up with me uh, to just to have life together? And so it's about four or five guys who said yes. And so then what we did was we met one year together every week. And what I did was I invested time. Um, we prayed together. We actually read a book by John Piper called Finally Live, which is essentially his exposition on John chapter 3 being born again. Um, so it's a, it's a gospel framework as well as, I mean, it was accountability, sharing, life together. And through that, these at the time, these were guys who were sort of on the periphery of the church. But after that, I just saw the impact that that made, not because of me leading it, but because of that concentrated, intentional discipleship. And so after that, we real, I realized, and I think as elders, we realized, you know what? We still don't see the fruitfulness of wanting the most out of what we can get from these groups, these gospel communities. So we decided to do another shift. And the, it, it became discipleship groups, focusing on smaller groups of three to five people, single-gendered, with a lot more intentionality and focus towards growing together and pressing one another, pursuing one another in Christ together. I would say that in all of our years of doing some sort of small group discipleship ministry, by far the discipleship groups have produced the most fruit. I, th I think there is something to the idea of having a really small number um, gathering together on a regular basis, being in each other's lives deeply and consistently. And so people were impacted by that. Um, no, one thing that uh, we talked about, Fuji, you and I talked about, is that there is no system in the Bible that is 
inerrant uh, that the Bible says, this is how you must do discipleship groups or gospel communities or small groups. So we're not trying to um, say in any way that one system is better than the other or whatever it might be, which should lead us to say what is best for our church. And I think out of all these years, we've been trying to get to that place of determining what is the most productive, faithful, fruitful way upon which we can make disciples of Jesus through the gospel. And, um, you know, we, we've been on this journey. Once discipleship groups took place, that went on for a good four or five years, which was a good, really important run. I think all of these things have taught us something it's taught us a lot about how to really optimally form these groups. Now, one drawback of these small discipleship groups was newcomers. They actually had a very difficult time, most of them plugging into discipleship groups. I would say a few plugged in, but you have to be willing to jump in deep into the deep end if if you want to go into these discipleship groups because they're very intentional, very focused, and has a high level of commitment. And a lot of newcomers don't have that going to a group of 15 people and just having dinner together and sort of spending time together is a much more less intimidating place than say going into a group of five that's already deeply committed to each other and sharing very intimate details where sometimes you don't even want someone who's new into that group so we realized that newcomers were one of the big challenges to these groups and then on top of that, you had, you know, some, um, just some issues of half of the church was not involved in discipleship groups. So it wasn't necessarily as open to people as it could have been. During this period of discipleship groups, was gospel communities going on? So we, we switched gospel communities. So that ended, discipleship groups took over. 2016, 2017? Yeah, around there, 2016. 2017 then the pen so then we came to realize wait a second so we have this gap the gap of newcomers and then about maybe half of the church when i say church i don't mean the members i mean those who come on sundays like it's hard for someone on the outer layers uh, of the church so not members but the next layers uh, from attenders to newcomers that group of people, which at least consists of 50% of the people who come on Sundays, maybe more, those people had a very difficult time in connecting. And so we saw a lot of the revolving door of people coming in and out because they just weren't connected. They didn't want to go into the deep end of discipleship groups, but there was nothing else for them. So we decided end of 2019, October maybe 2019, where a group of us met with a, like the elders had commissioned me to... to form sort of a task force of different um, potential gospel community leaders. And then we met a few, a couple of times. I had drafted a, a pretty substantial piece that you've read, Fuji, that was sort of gospel communities 2.0 material that we never really launched. As elders, we discussed it a lot um, with a smaller group of people, we discussed it a lot. We met on Zoom, and then the pandemic hit. Now, once the pandemic hit, that took a hiatus, and then we picked it back up on Zoom. But obviously, starting things in the middle of the pandemic when we weren't physically meeting, as as well-intentioned as we wanted it to be, we, we couldn't really go uh, produce. And then on top of that, we knew we were going to hire someone eventually. We didn't want to start something completely new, hire someone, and then they say, well, what about this? What about that? And then we were thinking, I don't know necessarily if uh, this is the best time because it might change given whoever comes in. And so we decided we're going to have to really put this onto the back burner. But the essential elements of Gospel Communities 2.0 was exactly what we're proposing in a sense here which is that we were going to have a, sort of a integration of small groups 
with discipleship groups. So that's the history. I hope that helps all of you and you, Fuji, as you hear it, maybe for the first time. I think that's a good segue into uh, the next question. What is, is what is being proposed completely new from what we have done in the past? And the answer is no. It is not new. And I think you could see that, right, as you hear the history. Yeah. So what we are proposing is small groups, essentially, but there is a, an aspect of discipleship groups that will be formulated within the gospel community, which is, again, what we had initially talked with that task force group of people, and they had all, all agreed that was a good system, so that there's a primary purpose of gathering, and then eventually it breaks out into smaller groups of, I mean, we don't have a terminology for that. I mean, it could be accountability, life transformation, sort of prayer groups where within a gospel community, they could decide, hey, we're going to, we're going to, after our meeting or in different times, you're going to meet weekly and it'll be just a small group of men or women and we'll pray together, share together, consider some of the things that we're doing on the whole as a gospel community, you know, and, and so I think that that's maybe uh, Fuji and I didn't, did not explain that well or make that clear, but that's what we're thinking. Can you go back and explain that part? Well, like small groups are, you know, we call it GC. Yes. And we were doing that. Mm -hmm. But now we recognize that DGs, there's value Mm -hmm. to what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And that's just going to be taken in and Mm -hmm. being made part of GC. Right. Well, I think this is where your perspective really comes uh, to be helpful because there are a number of people who are listening to this, who are part of our church now, who are not a part of DG ever or gospel communities. So they've come within the past six months, year maybe, or let's say just your time frame, February, right? And they've never been a part of a DG or a GC. So the, to them, it's brand new. To give you a little bit of uh, some definitions, gospel communities are our small groups. And most of you, if you've been in any church context, you've, that's not an unfamiliar idea, which is that even in a church our size, we're, I would say we're a, you know, a medium, medium sized church, usually anything from about 200 to 500 is medium sized. And even in a medium sized church, we just cannot know each other all well through Sundays and even through some activities, it just doesn't work that way. So small groups are a means by which we grow to get to know at least some people in the church intimately or, you know, and, and again, there's, I think of it as concentric circles. There's a, uh, you know, there are, Jesus did it. He had three and then he had 12. Then he had 72. And then even beyond the 72, there are many more disciples so it's just a, it's a very common grace human organizing methodology. And it's the way that we can get to know people at different levels. And so small groups allows us to get to know people at a more intimate level than we could say in the 72 sphere or the 300 sphere. And so they meet regularly. Um, but within that 15 or 12, or whatever smaller number, it's still hard to, let's say I'm sharing, and I'm a guy, sometimes there are things that I want to share, or it, or I need prayer for, that it's easier to do that in, as Jesus did, the three-person area, and he's the fourth person, right? I mean, Jesus, James, John, and Peter, right? So, uh, that smaller, smaller intimate group is where I can you know, really ask for prayer, share some struggles that I'm having that maybe I don't want to share with the whole group or maybe it's not so appropriate to do so. And so uh, that that just allows me to know that I, I have this, this group of people. So what you do with the, the three-person to five-person group and what you're going to do with the 12 to 15-person group and what you're going to do with the 72-person group and what you're going to do with the 300-person group all of them has its pur- have its purposes of meeting and 
they really are significant, but they're definitely going to be different because of the size. Again, that's human nature. That's just pragmatic. There are some things that are just going to make that more realistic to what life is like. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And so we want to do the gospel community as the 12 to 15. Yes, exactly. And then even within that gospel community, we have even smaller groups of people. Yes, or discipleship groups. Right. Yeah. Which which was what was done in the discipleship yes. group. Yes. But it will be done within yes. that gospel community yes. setting. Yeah. I, I do think maybe it might that, you know how I was sharing about Jesus's understanding of discipleship. I mean, I'm not saying that he did that to make it a normative thing per se, like the numbers, right? But I do think there's some wisdom in what he did. So when you think about it that way, like take just Jesus's patterns, you might say. It's essentially what we're trying to do. So we're not trying to reinvent the wheel or come up with some brand new system. It's just maybe in a sense following the wisdom that Jesus had simply about understanding social patterns and norms that has some wisdom to it. How are these similar and different the groups that were mentioned so far how are these similar and different from previous iterations of small groups home groups community groups at wellspring so maybe that's a question that i think given fuji what i've shared about i think you get an idea now yeah what the yes. previous iterations were yes. like how do you feel as it might be similar and different actually i don't really see a major difference we want to do the welcoming newcomers. Mm-hmm. We want to uh, have different, sometimes life stage people gathered together. And yet at the same time, we do want the, the smaller group of people praying, sharing, holding each other accountable. We want that. So all it is is just a reorganization mm-hmm. of it all. And mm-hmm. then the only other piece is we're wanting to train, which I think most people are open to. Yeah, I I do think it's going to be pretty similar to what most people who have been with us for a while have experienced in the past. It'll be opportunities of um, doing mission and life together, um, praying together, right? Welcoming new people, enjoying each other's company. The areas that might be a little different, not, not different, but you know, the, the actual what are you going to do? What do you feel like that will be? in terms of study? The only thing that is being proposed as different, and again, I don't think it's different because I think uh, so many people have already practiced it, is rather than Bible study, it would be somewhere in between a Bible study, or definitely looking at God's Word mm-hmm. is what we want to do, but drawing from the gospel preached on a Sunday sermon mm-hmm. and discussing that. Mm-hmm. We are trying to draw the gospel from that, Mm -hmm. from God's word that was preached and meditating on it Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. Other churches have called it a sermon-based discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, There's books about it and so on. Mm -hmm. We want to apply the gospel that we've already come to know. We've Mm -hmm. heard it a few days ago and just apply it into our own lives and actually the group help each other to apply it to one another. Mm So in there's nothing new about that. Right, right. How many people are you expecting in each group? We're not trying to say, oh, that 12 is a magic number or anything like that because there are 12 tribes. I, I think in many ways the disciples' number has much more to do with the fact that there are 12 tribes of Israel than there has to do with, oh, this is how many disciples you need to have in a discipleship group or a gospel community or a small group, whatever it might be. However... Yeah, it just seems actually pretty practical. It seems like a good number. It seems like a number that is not so big that you can't really connect with each person. But it's not so small that if one or two people are missing, that just seems as though you don't have any momentum. And so, well, I, in my mind, I'm imagining 12 to 15 adults as a mm, more like a a projection, a hope, but it definitely, I would imagine, is not necessarily, and Fuji, you had mentioned this, it's not something that we're saying, oh, it has to be 12 to 15. It can be lesser, it can be more. 
but we sort of see that as a, a good target number. And I think that that will help some of our gospel community leaders to give a, an, at least have an idea of how to, uh, what to shoot for when thinking about their particular group. What do you think? I think that gives us a number, uh, at least thinking about it. And yet, it, because certain groups will not have the capacity, mm-hmm. the size, uh, the size of the house, mm-hmm. size of the meeting place. Right. So that's going to yes, that's be a, a huge factor. factor. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever been part of a really big group? Really big, small group. I'm doing air quotes. Big, small group. <laughs> well, the largest one was the most recent one, where you know, there it could have been. This is the one you in when you're in Philadelphia. Yeah, it's probably seven families if everybody showed. There's a lot of kids involved, mm. but I think on average, four to five families mm-hmm. came, and so there's some who who, you know, right. for whatever reason could not make it. Right. I've been part of ones that have been twenty to thirty. It's hard, <laughs> and I know some of you have as well. So wait, so t- what happens if all thirty people showed? Yeah, so it ends up not being a small group. It's almost like um, like a house church. That is a that's a big house church. That's a big house church. Big house. That's just a church. I mean, that's the size of mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, again, some of you are listening to this. You know, we used to base it on gospel communities were based on our freeways. And it was 680 Gospel Community. If you lived off of 680, so that included Danville, uh, San Ramon, and then there was 24, Route 24, uh, La Mirinda, Walnut Creek, and then 580, Dublin, Pleasanton. So Danville, San Ramon had like 70 people come. Yeah, it was like a church. But they, so that's the thing. We did have Gospel Communities with discipleship groups at that time, but it was either really big or really small. So what we're proposing is the normal size small group with discipleship groups or you know cohorts or whatever you want to call them as uh, discipleship groups. How will these groups be organized? We called it something, but we're changing the name. We called it pilot program, but we realized that some of you are not pilots. <laughs> For those of you who are not in the aviation industry... You got confused by that <laughs> phrase. As we're about to begin this version of small groups or gospel communities, mm-hmm. uh, we wanted to just start off a little slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a period of time to try to work out the issues, learn how this approach uh, or this reorganization can work. And we did call it pilot programs, but we realized that might not be as familiar, that term. So we're thinking of changing it to something that we all probably are familiar with, trial periods. <laughs> right? Trial periods of a, on an app. Or a trial. I think that makes a lot of sense. And <laughs> trial period. For all of you, you're going, why didn't you just call it that to begin <laughs> with? <laughs> and the answer to that is, we needed you to help us. <laughs> So that's a good thing. But a trial period, why do it that way? Yeah. So, you know, I was uh, talking to Fuji this morning and just this illustration came to me, which is my kids and I, um, you know, we play board games and I know some of you play board games with your children. And we got a new board game recently that I plan on using with Axis. It's called the Neanderthal game. Uh it's it's the same company as Exploding Kittens. So anyway, uh, the, my kids are trying to teach me the game, and they had already learned it, but they, they weren't sure of certain parts. So we started reading the directions. But as we're reading the directions, it became a little complicated. It, it's probably because the words themselves, it's hard to visualize the words. It's it's challenging. I find that to be the case. Whenever I'm trying to play a game and we're trying to learn a new game with our kids, we read the directions and we can't, at least I'm not like that. I'm not a, here's the words and then automatically I can understand it. It's okay. Here are the words. Oh, this is a little complex and the way they're describing things are not so clear. And so how about we try playing the game first alongside with what we've already read And then as we're playing it, 
Let's see when we run into a roadblock, we'll go back to the words and then see if maybe the instructions make more sense given the fact that we've now started playing the game. And then as we start play, uh, going, playing the game, go back to the instructions, then we go back to the game again and then it becomes a lot easier to understand the game actually because we're going back and forth. Now, the answer might be, well, the writers could have written that those instructions a lot clearer. And so partly for Fuji and I, this is our first um, step towards writing these instructions a little clearer than, say, our previous meeting. And But the trial period, in my mind, is let's play the game. Let's start the small groups with the instructions. And as we're doing it with these guys who are leading and with the people who are signed up for these groups, then we can see how things are going. And then if we need to make some changes, we go back. So therefore, when we finally do launch it fully open to the whole church, then it's really well thought out, prayed through, um, and something that's communicated well, messaged well, there's no confusion, and therefore everyone gets it. I hope that makes sense as a little bit of a little illustration to sort of describe this whole trial period concept. You mentioned GC leaders. What is the criteria for picking GC leaders? I think I need to ask you that question. Well, the GC leaders were chosen by the elders of of Wellspring. That is how we did decide these particular guys as the initial trial period leaders. When I think of someone who is a leader, at least biblically speaking, I think of a servant, someone who is a shepherd. Um, And Jesus says this about himself, and uh, I think scripture lays this out as well, that a shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And so when we thought of, there are many different guys who we could have asked. Um, Some are serving in different capacities that we just felt as though, and, and they felt as though it's not something that they could do on top of the different ways that are serving. So in that sense, Fuji and I are so thankful, and the elders are so thankful that there are a lot of guys we could have asked, but due to the ministry and service of different people. So that's one fact, a significant factor why we ask certain people and not others. Secondly is that uh, these guys have shown through their own personal commitment and faithfulness to just to the ministry, to uh, have a heart for people. They've just shown that. As well as uh, one key component, and this is a pretty substantial one, is that each one of them has some um, transformative understanding of the gospel, meaning that they've been impacted by it. And enough that it's the grid upon which they view life and ministry. Now, like all of us, we are all growing we're being sanctified. We're being changed. It's, we're not, we have not arrived. These are not men who are perfect, just like none of us here are. But we all acknowledge our need for Christ desperately and our, um, our need to want to follow Christ wherever he should take us and lead us. And so these guys have shown that to some extent. Um, and so we think they're a good group of guys that we pray will really typify well Gospel, commun- uh, gospel community leaders, and then moving forward, one day they will. There'll be a lot more who will come alongside as well. Once, especially once we fully launch this, this trial period. What does the timeline look like? I think we're looking at yeah, just the next several months, including the time at the retreat as a trial period, and the number of times of meeting is at least once a month based on the GC leaders' availability and so possibly once in October. Once in November, the retreat will count, and then in December and possibly January. All that to just trial things out, see how the groups are going, how the training of the GC leaders are going. Um, We also want to prepare other potential GC leaders Mm -hmm. to, Mm -hmm. you know, think about becoming one. This will also give us time to really kind of pray things through mm-hmm. about uh, what's important mm-hmm. with these groups. Mm-hmm. I think something that you have said to me before that is helpful is that our goal is not to create a system. It's to raise up people. And people are, at least biblically speaking, are led by shepherds. And so it's actually to raise up 
shepherds, under shepherds of Christ, which we all are, um, who are going to care, protect, guide, lead, love the flock of Christ. And um, that's our goal. And so however long it takes to raise up those people, it could be a couple of months. It could be a half a year, a year. I don't know. And I don't want you to think, oh, it's going to take a long time. No, not necessarily. I think more than anything, what we want you all to know is that we're, we really care about the people that are going to lead these groups because we care about the people who are in these groups. And the structure and system, all of that can change, but the people will stay the same if they're in Christ. And they'll do a great job no matter what. So in that sense, the time frame could be very short. It could be longer. It could be that we raise up two people really quickly. And so maybe at a certain point we say, all right, we're ready for two more groups. Or it could be we raise up 20 more people and we say, all right, we're ready for 20 more groups. Or it could be two and then another three rolled out. And maybe so it depends on how we're raising up these leaders and their preparation to lead these groups well that these groups can start formulating. And it could be on a rolling basis, not necessarily automatically on a, okay, on this date, we're going to open up these many groups. Yeah, because then if we set a time deadline, say May 2023, that, you know, we're going to open up 20 groups, that means that that's an assumption that there will be 20 more GC leaders that are ready, but that's not something that we can actually determine Mm -hmm. because we're talking about hearts. We're talking about even character, and character Mm -hmm. takes time, Mm -hmm. Uh, readiness, uh, desire. If we could determine that we can uh, have 20 groups mm-hmm. by May, uh, the assumed solution there is, you know, a structural. Right. You right. know, we have the structure in place. We figured out the program. We figured out exactly what needs to be done within mm-hmm. these groups. As long as whoever leader or, you know, person who's willing to do it, as mm-hmm. long as they follow the guidelines, mm-hmm. that they're going to have a successful gospel community group. But that's not how things really work and how people are cared for. I'll ask this question. Are these groups open to everyone in the church? And how can I sign up for them? It is open to all. And it's first come, first serve because in this trial period, there's a number of groups that set. And within each one, there's a limited or a certain number of people within each one that the uh, GC leader is open to having. Yes, open to all. First come, first serve. We'll open up that registration time in the next two weeks. How many groups are we going to start out with in this trial period? We're going to start with seven. Seven's a great number. <laughs> <laughs> like that, yes. <laughs> it's really five plus two, but I don't know why. Yes. In my head, it's five plus two. But, but for those of you who are not into math, it's seven. Um, yes. They don't understand why it's five plus two. You know, you right. say that, but they're like, what? what? Why is it five plus two? That doesn't make sense. And the math doesn't even matter because it's what is five and what is two? <laughs> five general. And then there's two specialty groups. Are you ever concerned that these groups can become cliquish? Any group. It, cliquish is a misnomer. I think Jack Miller, to use his phrase, becoming ingrown like an ingrown toenail it's gross it is gross which i had (laughs) surgery for and it takes a lot to remove it it takes surgery to remove it and so we are by nature self-centered because of sin you know inward focused we don't want to think about others in fact i was working on sunday's sermon actually today and talking about this idea of xenophobia the word xenos in the greek It basically means stranger, foreigner. We have to realize that um, that's our inherent nature is to want to push the outside person out and keep them out, right? And any group, any church, any gathering can become xenophobic, can become insular, ingrown. So are we ever concerned? Sure. But I'm concerned the church becomes that. I'm not I'm concerned a discipleship group of three people become that a friendship can become that you know so it's a what destroys that is the gospel is the fact that Christ welcomed strangers such as me you 
he welcomed the the weirdo <laughs> such as me he welcomed the outsider the cast off the person who should be rejected by god because of our sinfulness and his holiness but god became flesh and dwelt amongst us and that gospel of what christ has done for us derivatively then says how can i who has received that grace now become someone who sort of enforces this real pitiful boundary. I mean, it truly is the parable of the unmerciful servant. We cannot go down that road. So forget about small groups. This is a, just a, a call to all of us on any level of gathering that we should always be welcoming, open-hearted, gracious, um, just taking in people who are different from us. And if that happens, if the gospel takes hold, I'm not concerned about, quote, clickishness or ingrownness at all. It's gospel understanding that guards us from that heart. What do you think? I think I'm taking this from Keller, but it's something I've been thought about a lot over the years is we are together looking towards one another, uh, not to find our identity in one another, but to actually receive and give mm-hmm. uh, what Christ has been teaching us so that we would actually turn around and be outward-faced together. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have a group. And that's where I'm refreshed in the gospel. That's where I'm challenged and comforted by the gospel from others with the absolute intent that we be Mm outward-faced. I think when we don't look outwards to other people and being welcoming, Mm -hmm. being missional, being service, that's when it can become ingrown. Mm -hmm. And ingrownness never, ever works out Mm -hmm. in people's lives. Conflict happens. Mm -hmm. You know, you just look at one another for affirmation, and Mm -hmm. when you don't get it, it becomes destroyed. Mm -hmm. Uh, We want intimacy Mm. with these groups. Mm -hmm. If we get the gospel, we actually become intimate, Mm -hmm. and yet we become much more Mm -hmm. concerned about those who are not part of that group. Mm -hmm. You know, to answer the question of the longevity of these groups, the the time length of these groups, yeah. we we're asking that they be at two years as a max. And the reason is that our instinct, and sometimes you just don't even realize it, is that the longer it goes, the more you you do grow into an ingrownness. And sometimes you don't even realize it. It just happens. And suddenly no one can join your group or it, it only, you know, you, you limit it to people who are not going to, quote, uh, mess up your dynamics because they're a little bit more of a difficult person. And, uh, you know, at that point, we are in danger. So there's the time frame, time length, and duration of these groups. We're proposing two years because we think that that's a, a good enough time. Even Jesus, he had to send them out, you know, at a certain point, say, all right, time to go. And uh, spread out. Yeah. Persecution acts. Yes. Yes. Acts chapter 8. After Stephen's death, yeah. There are other ways Wellspring is planning on making disciples of Jesus. Yeah, you know, so this is where I think, going back to the timeline and history of discipleship, I mean, you had mentioned it, Fuji, in your presentation, but I don't know if you fully understood it. There was something called equipping ministries. And equipping ministries, what that was at that time was our way of having essentially classes. I mean, think of it like a a little mini church seminary or one person at our meeting talked about it as Sunday school classes. So historically, churches, especially more reformed churches, uh, tend to have what was called Sunday school or not just reformed, but even more old style classes is... uh, they would do it on Sundays before the sermon, usually. And it would be a class, and it would be open to the whole church. Well, we had the same thing. Like, for example, I led a class in the Book of Acts. That was essentially an equipping ministry, or for lack of a better word, a Sunday school class that was held on Wednesday. What we're proposing, and and uh, there are so many different ways to describe this equipping 
uh, classically, another way that I know you have an M-A-C-E. Can you explain what an M-A-C-E is? Master of Art in Christian Education. Yes. That phrase, Christian Education, that's been around a long time, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and it's because I couldn't handle the M-D. <laughs> <So. laughs> that's an inside joke. <laughs> yeah, but there you go. Yeah, we used to tease him a lot because, uh, <laughs> you know, numer- numbers of us were do- doing what was called Master's Divinity, which tends to be more of a pre-pastor track. I was the only one who was doing an MA in Christian education. Especially MAC. As a guy. (laughs) There were a lot of MA theological studies, MATS, MA biblical studies, but very few MACA. CE, sorry. CE, yes. And then he... Then he he realized he had to go handle the MDiv, <laughs> and I finally did. <laughs> yes, he finally Seven handled years. it. <laughs> but Christian education has essentially been the what it sounds like the educational component of the church, and usually that entails what would you say, classically speaking? I think a lot of people thought of it as children's ministry, youth ministry, right? Yeah, classically. classically, it's like zero to 18 years old. Yes. Even though it's really zero to death. Yes. That's how it should be seen. Yes. Because it's not Christian education for kids. It's Christian education. So we, we see that as a component of essentially disciple making. You're training up people. You're equipping the saints, as Ephesians 4 says, for the work of ministry. And that is a little bit more of a didactic methodology versus, say, small groups, which is a lot more inductive rather than deductive. Like deductive meaning you're going to teach it and like you're in a classroom context, whereas inductive is you're learning from and drawing out from what's being said by other people, a lot of sharing. So in this sense, we see that there's going to be this opportunity that we have to actually teach to have different classes and, and to be able to uh, have more of a Christian education component. And, you know, when we were giving this presentation on Sunday, we didn't have this phrase, but I really like it. The, um, and so, Fuji, can you explain? Oh, gospel edu. Yes. Because if we see discipleship, another way to say it is Christian education and learning the gospel, learning from Scripture, how the scripture gets us to the gospel as well as you know how the gospel gets us to grow in it apply it to different aspects of our lives we got to learn it we got to grow in it we got to be in some ways taught it be educated in it so gospel edu so now i i get it let's say i get okay christian education classes gospel edu is basically a structure for classes of training, equipping, making disciples. Um, and they can have all different components. And again, think of like a, you know, almost like a seminary. That, that you, you might have classes on parenting, classes on church history, classes on... Um, apologetics. Apologetics, yes. Understanding of biblical theological framework. I mean, so there's a... It could be evangelism, how to handle your money. I mean, there's a lot of different ways in which this can play out. When we were thinking of this and you gave a pictorial illustration on Sunday but what we came to realize is that wasn't maybe the best you're talking about the tree (laughs) yes and we actually think there's a better illustration that can explain the difference between what we would call gospel well and gospel spring and both of these are under the umbrella of gospel edu or the Christian education track so can you explain gospel well gospel spring how that actually all plays out together. Gospel community is where we're going to live out the gospel, and then gospel edu is where we want to learn in the gospel, learning the gospel. I think in the early conversations with the elders, we're thinking about, you know, what do we call these things, and what are these things, let alone what to call these things. We thought, okay, well, the gospel, we know it does two things, at least so many things it does but one the gospel we got to grow in it we got to learn it because it is 
deep. It is the source because of Jesus and his gospel. Wisdom, he is the light, he is the power for salvation. Our identity, these fundamental, elemental things. And we say, well, that's gospel well. It's deep, and it's that one source that we really need to get. As you get it, it applies to every situation and every role, every responsibility. All these facets of life, we say, well, that's like a spring. Take the gospel and water these areas or apply or expose the gospel to these areas. That's where these terms come from. More than the gospel well or gospel spring terms, it's really, well, how do we help our folks growing that gospel deep, getting that very clear? And then helping our folks to to deal, use the gospel in all these different areas. I think those are the two ways, two categories, broad categories for gospel EDU, gospel learning. I, I think of it as, uh, um, maybe this isn't a perfect analogy, but you know when you take mathematics, you start out with algebra, right? And algebra sort of lays the baseline for everything that's going to come forward in mathematics, at least in... Uh, you know, in a certain, uh, at least up to computational mathematics, whatever you want to call it, uh, applied mathematics. And so you learn algebra, but that algebra, once you learn it, it actually is essentially utilized in almost every other branch of mathematics. It just filters through everything and you start specializing in all different areas of mathematics. So if there's a textbook or a class, you take this one class in algebra, and then you go to algebra two maybe, and then you go or geometry, and you go to uh, trigonometry, and then you go to calculus and precalculus and calculus. But that algebra is always used, and it sort of runs as the foundation and baseline for everything. You need that first class to actually be able to do all the other classes, because you can't understand the other classes without actually knowing algebra, and so. In that way, I think of uh, gospel well as the f- laying the foundation of what is the gospel and how does it fundamentally apply to life and to the way that we think, our worldview, our, our um, understanding of some big theological themes such as adoption, justification, the righteousness of God, holiness, sin. All, these, all those things that, if you don't understand this on the basic level, not only is there a information deficit, but it really impacts your faith. It actually is hard to follow Christ without actually knowing this. And I know it personally because when I didn't understand this, and I went to seminary and I still didn't understand it, and then it was, oh yeah, I'm adopted, not because of my righteous deeds, but because of the work of Christ. And that was an incredible freedom that gave me a lot more joy than what I thought was my faith, which was God only loves me when I really obey him rightly. And that's the only way he'll love me is if I, and if I don't obey him rightly, then he's going to really punish me. And it was all about my obedience rather than Christ's obedience. So you might think, well, I know that already, but Boy, it's one thing to know it intellectually, and it's another thing to experience it. And then it's another thing to actually, in an ongoing way, make it the grid upon which you view life. And so think of gospel well as this algebraic foundation to the future of how you live your life and how you view the world and society and your family and eternity uh f- moving forward with gospel spring and that's going to you know there will be a lot more detail in different areas and it could be as we're studying Romans but all of these things whether we're studying books of the bible or talking about money or talking about marriage it still has that um basic foundation that we need you'll see that there again and again but then there's a lot more detail in how we process those things. Wellspring has been doing forms of gospel well mm-hmm. and forms of gospel spring. But I think that what during this reorganization 
right. have to use that word, yes. is to build it in. Mm-hmm. Um, can you say more about the thought process of developing gospel well? Well, um, I think for both of us, Fuji and I, we have um, had opportunities to be a part of different groupings of discipleship curricula like this, such as sonship um, and um, living for the king. living for the king. There's others. Yes, uh, the journey. There's many others actually. Thankfully, yes. We what we're doing is basically shaping it to be uh, something that for Wellspring we see as these are the components we want to focus on. It's not exhaustive and it's not as though we have, again, the, the corner market on what should be done. It's, this is just what we think of as the emphases the, that we want to make on this idea of gospel centeredness. And so, yeah. And I think the one in this reorganization, the one new thing, about this, uh, about gospel well and possibly gospel spring is they are built into the calendar right. of the church. Yes. So just to give you um, what it looks like is January to April, May, it will be a season of gospel well or, and in the fall, September to December will be gospel spring. Let's say, for example, in 2023, it could be, you know, within that uh, September to December. It could be not just one course offered, but it could be two to three courses offered consecutively. Or it could be one whole. But these things, these classes, they will be built in. There will be a set course. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, one-off, we're going to do it, and mm-hmm. then we're never going to ever do it again. Right. No, right. It, it'll be, um, we're going to think that through of the set of courses, mm-hmm. curricula. Mm-hmm. In order to build up not just one season mm-hmm. of group of people, but it would be year after year mm-hmm. after year mm-hmm. uh, and different groups of people, mm-hmm. different generations mm-hmm. of people. Who can take these uh, gospel EDU courses and classes? It's open to all. In fact, it's, uh, these will be classes and yet smaller groups. Mm-hmm. And why would we want that? Cohorts. Cohorts. Yes, and I think we had um, made maybe not intentionally, but the mistake of describing them as discipleship groups. And so here what we're saying is that the discipleship group model is primarily focused towards gospel communities. But these are cohorts, and these cohorts are smaller groupings of people. Again, the, the idea is the same, which is that you take something bigger and make it smaller because it becomes more digestible. People who are maybe a little shyer to ask questions can maybe ask questions in those groups and they can discuss maybe with a little bit more detail of certain things and then pray together, share together some of the real issues that do come up with some of these areas. So conceptually, it's uh, the, the same idea, but one is discipleship groups are focused towards gospel communities and they might be a little more regular, whereas these are only lasting for the time period of that gospel EDU class, whether it's gospel L or gospel spring, is that it's only for that class and then it, and then it's done. And so that what, that's probably the major difference between a, that's one major difference of a discipleship group and a gospel, uh, a gospel EDU cohort that will take place. Who will be asked to teach and lead these classes? One thing is that you need people who actually have a gift of teaching because that's important. It's not something that anyone can do. They need to be a member of the church because we need to know that they actually believe in what we believe. They could be someone outside the church. Like, for example, maybe we could ask a guest speaker here or there to speak on a topic or something. And so, uh, but they would be someone who we would say, yeah, we agree with where they're at. Um, in terms of their theology, in terms of their understanding of the gospel. And so that's pretty significant because the gospel really is the means by which we see the answer to all these questions. Having that framework is very important. If you have more questions, feel free to reach out. Uh, You can email us um, and we can 
respond with another podcast, a clarification, or maybe we can, we'll talk to you. And then if we feel as though, oh, that, that question, I think there, there's probably more people than you. We might do a, we might collect more questions if more come out. And if it hasn't been resolved in this podcast, then we can create more podcasts to actually uh, answer some of further questions. But we we totally want to talk to you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your patience. Amen.